Richard Radio begins in three, two, one. I started giving on that level so that God would owe me. Whatever you do right now, don't you stop tithing. Harvest responds only to seed, not to prayer. This is not about material wealth. This is about God in his providence orchestrating all of history in order to bring about that which we need more than anything else. And that is to be rescued from God. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. The case for Christian citizenship. This is Wretched Radio. Perhaps you've heard or even read a best-selling book by one Stephen Wolf, The Case for Christian Nationalism. It has caused quite a stir, encouraging people to adopt Stephen Wolf, the author's version of Christian Nationalism. This is a conversation that is needed in Western civilization as governments continue to grow increasingly hostile toward the realm of the church, historically affirming the benefits of the Christian church by even offering government benefits like you don't have to pay taxes if you're a church or a nonprofit because we esteem the good that you are doing so highly. We want to make sure that you have the ability to continue contributing to the flourishing of Western civilization. Well, that tune is changing. And there are people, rightly so, who are asking the question, perhaps with more motivation and intensity than we've ever even had to use because of the change in temperature of both the government and culture toward the Christian church. Now we really got to bore down and ask the question, what's the relationship between church and state? COVID brought that out, most certainly, but so too has a bunch of anti-Christian morality. I just, all the LGBT stuff, gender, business, all of it is making Christians feel like, whoa, we got to do something about this. And I agree with that. The question, of course, is what? And so it is. I received in my inbox, well, thank you very much for sending this to idea at wretched.org. An article by David, I hope I'm saying this right, Moral, M-O-R-R-I-L. I don't know who the fellow is, but he put together, I thought, a really pithy, it's eight pages long, but it's still pithy, <laughs> considering the breadth of the subject matter, pithy definitions of Christian nationalism and what he calls Christian citizenship to contribute to the conversation that we should be having, and we should be having it lovingly. Right, my brother and sister? Let me take you through the case for Christian citizenship by one David Morrill. Jimmy, are you familiar with David? I am not. Um, I'm not. I'm not either, but I thought the article was like, and he's kind of a clever writer to boot, He's got a punchy way of saying stuff, but he took a massive amount of information and tried to glean it down. Now, always want to be careful about this because you do have the Ph.D. level, which is needed in these conversations. But it also needs to be brought down to the street. Somebody needs to popularize the subject matter. And I think he did a fine job on this. Here's what he wrote. Setting aside. This is a good observation. Setting aside for the moment the strategic value of either embracing or abandoning Christian nationalism as a moniker, as an identifier, the apparent 
disagreements over its definitional and theological presuppositions have made Christian nationalism quite the wedge issue. And that is precisely what I am seeing. This is a passionate subject because it does indeed affect all of us. Whether we like the realm of government or not, the fact is it touches all of us on a daily basis. We do not escape the attitudes and legislation of the government. And so when you enter into a conversation about how they should behave and how they should be treating the church, look out. It can wedge. My encouragement is it doesn't. This needn't do that. You are this Christian nationalism isn't the root of the disagreement. It's a fruit of different disagreements that are not worthy of division. We're talking about eschatological differences here. We're talking about some understanding of covenants. We're talking about replacement theology. Now, these issues are important, but should they be dividing us? I suppose at some point they most certainly can, but I would hope that they don't divide us recklessly. We don't need that quote. While I hope to find common ground for both sides of the debate, it's just as likely I'll make both sides mad at me. Even by sharing this article, both sides will get mad at me for sharing an article that is getting both sides mad at this fellow. That ought not to be. Let's work through this. Now, I will confess you're going to say, oh, does that mean you're going to not pick a side? No, I, I will tell you what it is. I'm just not going to give you a stooge poke in the eyes as I do. There appears, this is what David Morrill writes, there appears to be a fracturing, indeed, in the tenuous anti-woke alliance. If you haven't noticed that shifting, it's been going on now for a number of years. Recently, social media posts from Josh Bice and Scott Aniel of G3 Ministries, they've launched Warning shots across the bow of the SS Christian Nationalist. <laughs> That's good writing. <laughs> the, the tweet that caused the brush fire was Stephen Wolf. He's the fellow who wrote the case for Christian nationalism. He wrote, quote, you know what, actually, I'm going to keep the quote out of it. Because that's really not our focus. It, it, it's a subject that is worthy of its own consideration. But let's just say Stephen Wolf, he tweeted out something that caused people to go, whoa, what's going on there? And the conversation has begun again. These are choppy waters. Let's see if we can wade through them. David writes, of core concern to this debate is how Christians should best, best address the apparent moral freefall of Western civilization. I, I think that's a part of it, to be certain, but I also think that there is a very personal aspect of this. I think that one of the concerns of, sorry to have to air quote Christian nationalism every time, but the semantic range is so wild, but uh, of, of more of the Stephen Wolf version, I, I think it's because we see the rights of Christians being jeopardized. And that's a threat to us. That's a danger. It genuinely is. And so we're really highly motivated now to perhaps bring that fear or concern to our understanding of the relationship between church and state. Nevertheless, David writes, the tribal borders of the debate 
aren't yet perfectly defined and there's an understandable crossover among various groups. Hence the problem. Which is why when you listen to people discussing this, we just have to be so careful that I don't hear a sentence or a word. Not kidding. It has gotten that granular. If you don't have agreement on a particular word, oh, that's it. That guy's a this or she's a that. It is that volatile. David writes, there are two distinct cohorts forming. Well, uh, this is helpful. Naturally, neutrality, rather, is disappearing as pressure increases on everyone to take a side or risk having a side assigned to them. At some point, that's going to shake out all by itself. We're still shaken right now. This, this is like when a paedo-baptist meant a believer's baptist at the Ligonier Convention. For the first time, how are we supposed to get along? Well, whoa, wait a second. They believe in the water doing this or not doing that. There was some shaking, and we figured it out. We got along. I hope we can do the same. So here are the two sides, according to David Morrill. Christian nationalism. On one side is a newly emerging strain of conservative thought that has been has embraced the label Christian nationalism, formed by a relatively young, loose coalition of Presbyterians, Reformed Baptists, and evangelical culture warriors. I don't think he's being pejorative. Maybe he is. I think he's just trying to help us understand who's who here. This coalition focuses on reasserting the Christian call to unashamedly practice public faith. Um, all right. I'm not in this camp, but I agree with that statement. Does that mean I'm now in the camp? See the overlap? See the challenge to all of this? I would agree with this. These brothers and sisters are quite willing to battle for Christian institutions. I see. I disagree with that. Even as they generally acknowledge that Christian describes conformity to Christian practice rather than all participants being professing regenerate Christians. The word Christian alone, and this article, by the way, focuses on it. I, I think it's worth your time to read the article by David Morrill, The Case for Christian Citizenship. What does the word Christian mean? You might say it's a born-again believer who's repented and put their trust in Jesus Christ. Others would say, well, no, it, it can be anything that is behaving in conformity with Christian ideals and principles. So it could be a Christian church. It could be a Christian university. Somebody would fire back, a university can't be a Christian because it's a thing and not a, but an actual human being. And so it is. We're even debating over what that word means. That's Christian nationalism, consisting largely of post-millennial Calvinists. So now we've got some doctrinal distinctives. This is the root. The, and I'm not saying it's a pernicious root necessarily, but this is what's producing the worldview of Christian nationalism or the liberty view. Consisting largely of post-millennial Calvinists, the coalition sees the adoption of classical liberalism in society and churches opening the door to godless depravity. They reject the idea that a neutral secular civil government can exist. That is one side, if you will. Are you on that side or are you on the other side next on Wretched Radio? Ah, some good news. Two encouragements from the Tomorrow Clubs. They have hundreds of weekly kids meeting clubs in Eastern Europe, but now they've expanded to Africa. 
And the kids are swarming the Tomorrow Clubs. They have never seen greater attendance than the hundreds of new clubs that they are opening up in Africa. That should encourage all of us. The gospel is going forth and reaching kids in unreached places. Encouragement number two, would you like to become a Tomorrow Clubs ministry partner? Your support will help the Tomorrow Clubs open up even more Tomorrow Clubs and reach even more kids with the gospel. Please consider becoming a ministry partner at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Have you ever felt like you're on an emotional roller coaster? It's okay to admit it because we've all been there and some of us are there now. Well, saddle up, buckle up, strap up, whatever it is you prefer. Just tune in to Transform with Dr. Greg Gifford. It's the podcast you quite possibly have been waiting for because it's the place where anxiety, loneliness, depression, and fear come face to face with the Bible. And don't expect Dr. Gifford to just read scripture. No, he wrestles with it and applies it to challenges we all face. Trust me, this podcast, it's a game changer. And it must be for me to say game changer because I loathe that phrase. But that's exactly what Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford is. It'll help you and it will empower you to help others too. You'll be throwing out biblical wisdom like you're in Solomon's Court. New episodes, they drop every Saturday morning at transform.org slash podcast or wherever you usually listen to podcasts. Trust me, you'll be glad you listened. How's inflation been treating you if costs for health insurance are skyrocketing in your home? Would you please visit MediShare.com slash wretched affordable biblical health sharing Christians paying for other Christians medical bills, which means you don't have to worry where the money is going for bad stuff. Second of all, you can save on average $500 per month. And finally, MediShare, it's the gold standard for healthcare sharing for more than 25 years. It works and the members, including myself and Mrs. Friel, love it, which is why their customer satisfaction rate is double traditional health insurance. If inflation has got you down, call up the people at MediShare, 844-34-BIBLE or MediShare.com slash wretched. Know your church fathers. Clement of Rome lived from A.D. 30 to 100, was a student of the Apostle Peter, and served as the Bishop of Rome. He wrote a letter to the troubled church in Corinth, warning against envy and immorality, emphasizing humility and repentance. His letter continued to be read during worship services for 80 years. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Are there really two sides. This is Wretched Radio, courtesy of David Morrill, writing an article titled The Case for Christian Citizenship in Contrast with the Case for Christian Nationalism, as defined by Stephen Wolf in his book, The Case for Christian Nationalism, helping us to define what side are people, where's everybody coming from in this debate about the relationship between church and state. I think he did an able job and I commend this article to you. I, I I don't know about the rest of his work. I'm just telling you, this one I thought was really smart. 
is what I thought it was, stating that there are basically two sides to this debate. Those who believe in some form of Christian nationalism, we just heard that definition, versus the liberty view. Here's the liberty view. Those who might be termed individualists, that's the big deal here. Christian nationalism would be a, air quote, Christian yeah, see, a government that's really informed by Christianity. That's, I think, fair to state it that way. Versus, no, it is a secular government that has a specific function as defined by the Bible, and individuals are responsible to them for a limited number of things. This is going to start to sound very familiar to you if you've ever heard our treatment of the debate on the two tablets of the law. Is the government responsible for bearing the sword to make sure that people don't blaspheme God's name, that they don't make an idol, that God comes first in their life, that they are obeying the Sabbath command? There are two tablets. You've got the, we'll call it the vertical and the horizontal. Is it the government's job? to mandate that people adhere to the vertical as well as the horizontal. We continue with David's description. These are those who believe in a more individualistic form of government in that there's a strong distinction between churches and civil governing authorities and for whom individual liberty practiced in civil life is a non-negotiable. It's an essential component of a just society. This coalition, here's who makes this up, non-post-millennialists, that's pretty accurate, dispensationalists, yep, there I am, classical liberals, now that doesn't mean Michael Dukakis or Jimmy Carter, that means that you believe in liberty, civil libertarians, and both traditional and Calvinistic Baptists who are concerned that a de-emphasis on individual liberty in the exercise of civil government will result in authoritarianism. In other words, we've got to have rights, and with those rights come responsibilities. But the civil magistrates cannot determine how we think, feel, or believe, and even, they would say, act in certain regards. And that gets us into the two-table debate. The liberty folks tend to believe that not only does the Christianization of worldly institution have no biblical warrant and likely no practical possibility, uh, at least not for the foreseeable future, it would, it would take a ma- either a massive move of God genuinely converting millions of people or it would take some sort of campaign that would cause people to change their view on this subject as radically as they did on gender and sexuality issues. If you think that's a possibility, well, okay, it, it is. But short of that, the idea that somehow institutions are going to voluntarily say, yes, we are a Christian institution. We are a Christian grocery store. We're a Christian dry cleaner, even though we don't believe in the tenets of Christianity. I, I don't see that as reality. The term Christian nationalism is definitionally unclear, has been effectively marginalized by progressive, air quotes, Christians, and has been strategically spun by the godless culture to be analogous to white nationalism. That's why, personally, I just think the word Christian nationalism, 
It has so much baggage on it. Just, I, I just don't think it's a helpful term. And fighting for who gets to define it, ah, I think there's lost people out there who need to hear the gospel. This is what David Morrill's position is, and I, and I resonate with this. Scripture defines a distinct jurisdiction and role for governing authorities. The instructions to submit to governing authorities are applied to individuals, and it is the individual that will be held responsible for compliance. It's a compliance in the area of civil conduct, being a good citizen, not in matters Scripture assigns to other jurisdictions such as the church, the home, the workplace, and our submission to God himself. In other words, what David just said there is there are realms of jurisdictional authority. This is a subject that we've been hot on for 20 years now, that God has assigned different realms for different responsibilities. Church, spiritual, government, physical. That is the role, and they have limits to their authority. Now, of course, here's where it gets tricky. We see the government being wonky. We see the government oppressing Christians. How do we respond to that? I understand that challenge, but I don't think that we then have permission to blur the lines in order to make the world a better place to be a Christian church in. This, of course, is where the disagreements start taking place. He writes, the diff distinction between civil conduct, because it's a jurisdiction of the government versus church, home, workplace, or to God himself. Civil government should treat the regenerated Christian, the unregenerated Christian, in other words, false converts, the Muslim Jew, or atheist the same so long as they are doing right and not wrong in their civic participation. Yet... The government, which is to be a judicial mediator of individual interests outside of the church, has an obligation to orient its moral standards to those that align with the law of God as summarized by love thy neighbor. See, here's how it gets. Well, then you're saying that you want it to be a Christian government. No, I'm saying is that the church needs to shout to the government from our realm, you need to be behaving this way. Anything short of this is a sin. Repent. That's how we enter that realm. It's with our vocal cords, calling them to repentance, telling them, thus saith the Lord. The role of a civil magistrate in a, quote, Christian nation is to bear the sword against interpersonal sins of a material rather than spiritual na nature. Now, it's interesting in this list. Here's something you can debate at dinner time. He lists these physical crimes, murder, stealing, false witness, covetousness, Adultery, and you go, whoa, 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 wait, wait a second. Those are now thought crimes. Well, the covetousness one, that gets tricky because that is a heart crime. So I'm not sure I would put that in the list. He identifies it as the motivator for all of the other sins. But you say adultery. Well, somebody, you're telling me the government should say that you shouldn't do that? Hold on. Isn't adultery harming people? That might be something that is hard for us to grasp because we don't think that there is any harm being done to, for instance, a woman who gives permission. From a Christian standpoint, I would say that a man who is not married to a woman who engages in that activity is treating her wickedly and harming her. Discuss at dinner time. Let's not make the same mistake the Israelites made in 1 Samuel 8, asking for a Christian prince. That's the call of the Stephen Wolf version of Christian nationalism. We need a Christian prince. 
By the way, Josh Bice from G3 asked the question in response to the Stephen Wolf text that kind of set all of this ablaze again. Would you want some sort of Christian pope in, 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 a, in government? And the answer overwhelmingly was no. I noticed Neil Shenvey said maybe a better question would be, do you want a Christian prince? Because that's Stephen Wolf's term. Who can call ecumenical councils as the president or whatever title you want to ascribe to him? and determine the theology of the government as determined by Stephen Wolf in his book, The Case for Christian Nationalism. Overwhelmingly, people were like, um, no. And from this article, David Morrill is saying, let's not make the mistake of the Israelites. We want a king. We want a king. Let's not cry out. We want a prince. We want a prince. To blur the lines between fallen worldly civilization and our holy nation, which is the church especially in a country where our forefathers wisely placed the lower authority of civil government in our hands. We don't seek to erase the jurisdictional lines that God has defined. Now, if you're thinking that means we don't engage in the affairs of the government, you got to define that carefully. I think we speak to the affairs of the government. But to blur the two realms is to say that people who are not born again are a part of a royal priesthood. Here's the last sentence. Christian citizenship versus nationalism combines the proper motivations and morals of Christian nationalism with the biblically and naturally evident morality of individualism. Both spiritual and civil justice are applied to the individual who obeys God by submitting to all ordained authority, seeking to self-sacrificially promote godliness and word and deed. Being held responsible for his civic behavior by the magistrate, he is held responsible for his spiritual response to God by God alone. Let's hope as we discuss those two sides, we all remember we're all on the same side. This is Wretched Radio. It is now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Well, first up on the list today, brace yourselves. Are you ready for this? Planned Parenthood has released their annual report, and apparently they're celebrating. That's right, the report, with all the cheerfulness of a dystopian novel, announced that Planned Parenthood aborted 375,000 babies last year. I had to read that twice. I did. It's like boasting about how many trees you cut down in the Amazon rainforest. Oh, my goodness. To Planned Parenthood, hey, here's a novel idea. How about you finally start planning parenthood? And if that's not enough, let's head to Vermont, where one school system has decided, you know what, it's time to get with the times. Let's get rid of these old-fashioned terms, boy and girl, male and female. we got to update them. We've got to upgrade them. We have to realize that we're living in the here and now, not back in the 19s or something. 19, that's what my kids call it. Anyway, they've swapped those terms up, boy and girl, male and female. They're now using more gender-neutral terms like person who produces sperm or person who produces eggs. If you're a parent in Vermont, no, if you're a teacher in Vermont, I would say get ready for some interesting parent-teacher conferences. I'm sure they're headed your way. And now we move to Washington, where a school district there has decided to scrap music classes. 
Why? Well, because apparently it promotes white supremacy. That's right, you learn all kinds of things here on Wretched. Did you know Beethoven and Mozart were notorious white supremacists? They've been corrupting our kids this entire time with their insidious symphonies. And meanwhile, the Biden DOJ has decided to sue the state of Tennessee over a law banning transgender surgeries and treatments on children. I'm not a legal expert. Of course, if you listen regularly, you know that. But it seems like the DOJ thinks it's unconstitutional for a state to say, hey, let's not perform life-altering surgeries on kids who can't even decide what they want for breakfast. Uh, and other news, PureFlix. Have you heard about the PureFlix streaming service? Well, they've doubled their membership while streaming services like Netflix and Disney Plus are seeing pretty steep declines. Could it be that people actually want wholesome entertainment? Ha! Huh. Well, that's shocking, isn't it? And lastly, in Minnesota, Governor Tim Walz has just signed a bill that makes Minnesota a sanctuary for murdering unborn babies. Because, of course, you know what's more important than providing a safe haven for the destruction of innocent life. Yeah, I'm sure the unborn are feeling very sanctuaried. Governor Walls. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Mexican. Faith is not a force we harness or a feeling we get. True biblical faith consists of three things. Knowledge of the truth, agreement with the truth, and a trust in the true God. There is no power in faith itself. The power is in the one we put our faith in. Are you trusting in Christ or in something that cannot deliver? This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Jimmy needs a little clarification. This is Wretched Radio. What now, Jimmy? Well, I just asked if, uh, <laughs> since I didn't see these, these tweets that you uh, that you went and spent some time reading. I, I, was the, I have to confess, uh-huh. I went to Twitter land for all of four or five minutes. I, <laughs> I had to get my passport stamped in the opposite direction. I wanted out. It, I have to confess. You get exhausted really quick. I, you know, I just wonder if Twitter is really a helpful source of of communication. It just with Mrs. Friel, I was going to say I'm reading a book. Well, really close. Mrs. Friel is reading a book about how we believe and increasingly the evidence is strongly pointing in the direction that social media is rewiring our kids' brains, or I should say wiring them wrongly in the first place. And she was reading a chapter, which means I was reading the chapter because She's underlining it for me, so I get to read a book in like 10 minutes, which is super cool, which is ironic because this particular chapter said holding a book and reading it historically compared to reading the exact same content on an, in electronic form, the retention is better when you're reading a book. I would agree with that. They, she also shared a term that was called monkey brain. But it's like, oh, that one. Oh, okay. oh, the weather. Mm. Oh, ooh, what did Joe Biden eat yeah. for dinner tonight? Oh, it was ice cream, by the way. Well, what about that thing about the celebrity who, and you just bing, bang, boom, boom, boom. And there's very little retention there. It's just plain better to read a book. Now, I happen to have a preference for it. I like the tactile experience. Then besides the electronic, it makes my eyes go blurry. I look up and I'm like the blind man who was only healed halfway. 
Ah! So I happen to like it. But this book affirmed that we are raising up a generation whose brains are being plugged in a different way. And forms of communication matter. And I just... I, I, yeah, you know, I learned some stuff by going to, I, I did learn some stuff. All right. When I went to a number of different Twitter things, whatever they're called, I was like, okay, I learned some stuff. But when you're trying to take a big bite out of a big subject, is it really helpful for response? This, oh, this one got a lot of thumbs up. So I guess it was really good. And then you read that thread and you don't even know what you're threading anymore. It's maybe just not ideal. Now, I hear some Christians saying, hey, if we're not there, we've abandoned the realm. Okay. I'm I'm not condemning Twitter and I'm not condemning those who use it. Just saying, I'm not sure that it's the best place to get the majority of your information on really big subjects like Christian nationalism. So I went to the G3 Josh Bice Twitter thing, whatever it's called. <laughs> And he did a poll uh-huh. asking, would you like a Christian pope? Okay. And I was just wondering, based on what you said, if he was advocating for a Christian pope. No. Okay. He, he was just polling so. the folks to right. say, hey, uh, what do you think about this idea of a Christian pope in the realm of the civil magistrate? And the over, I mean, overwhelming 92, 94% said no. 6% did say yes. They did like the idea. And Because we like to be helpful here at Wretched Radio, if you'd like a Christian Pope, just start following John MacArthur. Hello! He's our Christian Pope. The point is, no, I don't think that Josh was actually advocating for it. He was just polling. Are we clear now? We are. Jimmy. Thank you. Another article that was written on the subject of Christian nationalism, whose source I am not going to reveal because I like these guys. And, and we've got enough acrimony. We've got enough good brothers and sisters fighting against one another. But here's, here's where this reveals to me a big part of the problem in the discussion that we're having. So this was a headline of an article that we should, we should not freak out about the term Christian nationalism. And this article acknowledges there's different thoughts on what that means But this article says, here's what Christian nationalism means. It means Christians ought to favor a nation that rules in accordance to God's law. Jimmy, I'm going to read that again so that I don't have to give a clarification again. Thank you. Would you disagree with this? Christians ought to favor a nation that rules in accordance to God's law. Hmm. Say yes. Well, Yeah, it is. Because it, I don't think it crosses the line. No, it doesn't. That we should favor it. It right. doesn't say mandate it okay. or invade the realm and subvert the realm or overthrow the realm. It just says that we ought to favor a nation that rules it. Yeah, of course we should. Now, a should isn't necessarily an ought. That now, yeah, if that's the way it should be, if the government should rule based on Christian principles or laws, then then we must make that happen. Oops. That's that's a conclusion from a presupposition that I don't think you can automatically make. You've got to build a bridge to get there. Because we would agree. And come on. And by the way, I've heard this used and th- this isn't a good argument. 
well, you'd, you'd prefer a, a, a nation that is ruled in accordance to God's laws, right? Yeah. Okay. So, therefore, you're in favor of the church somehow intermingling with the state. No. Oh, so that means you'd prefer Marxism. No. No, that, there's, there's not an either-or position in this. However... This particular article then quoted Adrian Rogers. Jimmy, you like Adrian Rogers. He was your next door neighbor for a number of years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Pretty close. Uh-huh. Anyway, this is what Adrian Rogers preached. I should have grabbed the sound for this because there is no way I will sound a fraction as good as he did. You know, the, the, the room, Adrian Rogers' voice was so powerful. How powerful was it? He would go to a restaurant the hostess would say, how many? Adrian Rogers was reported to say, two. And the hostess got saved. I'm telling you. <laughs> I believe it. That voice. Amazing. Here's what he said. We are to preach to our country. God's people dare not be silent. We will be civil, but we won't be silent. As long as they're killing babies, practicing infanticide, I will not be silent. Sounds like an Erwin Lutzer book. As long as we have a government that is trying to normalize sexual perversion, I will not be silent. As long as they're handing out condoms to high school and junior high school students in so-called God-blessed America, I will not be silent. And as long as a freeborn American is told he cannot pray out loud anywhere, I will not be silent. We must say to our government, whatever is morally wrong is not politically right. I agree with all of that. But that's not Christian nationalism. And there are individuals, and the people who wrote this article, they do a lot of really, really good work. They have a very broad reach. They're saying that's what Christian nationalism is to me. That's like the, that's America to me. We can't define what it means for ourselves without acknowledging other people have different definitions. So my encouragement is be very, very careful how you use the term Christian nationalism. And I don't think we get to, well, this is my definition. Back to this particular article, because I think it it reminds us and encourages us. Uh, there's, there's definitely trigger words, not just in culture, but in the church. And Christian nationalism is one of them. This is what this publication said. Christian nationalism doesn't mean a Protestant pope rules America. Well, what some Christian nationalists are calling for is a Christian prince who does rule America according to the tenets of God's law, both tablets. So, Jimmy. Yes. Define cat. Cat. Mm -hmm. Annoying. Um, I didn't say describe a cat. (laughs) Just give me. me. Mean. No, it's got four legs. Paws, a tail, furry, okay, and it's aloof. That's what I was going to say. Oh, see, so I, 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 I don't believe in cats. I, I don't think cats are a good idea because to me, a cat actually has a pouch and it bounces with its marsupial babies in its womb and gets into fights with people in Australia. That, that's a kangaroo. Dodd. It's a cat. No, and away we go. You, uh, we don't have a good, an agreed upon definition. I can't even have a conversation with Jimmy about the subject of cats. Not that I'd want to. And it's not because of Jimmy, but because we can't. 
So this article said, Christian nationalism doesn't mean a Protestant pope rules America. Well, to some Christian nationalists, uh, they might argue with the phrase Christian pope would say, well, yeah, that's kind of what we do want. Further, it doesn't mean that we throw out the Constitution and democracy. It means that Christians seek to involve themselves in policy in such a way as to influence their nation in a positive and godly direction. I say amen to that. But I don't think that's the predominant form of Christian nationalism as understood in evangelical circles and in the circles of MSNBC, Southern Poverty Law and Justice, the ACLU, um, celebrities. They all see Christian nationalism as white supremacy from the article. That's what it means to me and to most other people that would deride Christian nationalism. I, I actually agree with their definite definition, but I don't think that it is wise, therefore, to say, so I'm okay with being something that the culture looks at and absolutely despises. This is Wretched Radio. So, you're not convinced of the importance of training men to rightly divide the word of truth and fill pulpits internationally? Fine. Then we'll let Paul Washer convince you. It is so important, not just important, it's absolutely essential to have a trained expositor of the scripture in every church. When we read through the book of Acts, we can see that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, advances as the word of God advances. Would you please consider joining the Master's Academy International in filling empty pulpits with men who can exposit the scriptures and advance the kingdom of God it's a magnificent ministry with a generational impact. Please learn more about supporting TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor. Wretched.org slash pastor for the Masters Academy International. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. Are you tired of standing on one leg like a flamingo? Well, good news. We don't actually want you to do that. We want you to stand firm with us using both legs as we continue reaching millions with the life-changing gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just like our friend Josh, who recently wrote in and said, Wretched has served as a valuable resource to me. And we're grateful for you and your ongoing support because it makes testimonies like Josh's possible. We promise not to waste your money around here. We don't buy jets. We don't buy fancy flamingo costumes. Don't know what my infatuation with flamingos is today, but as a gospel partner, you can help us to create more compelling, efficient, and sound productions like Wretched Radio and TV, Road Trip to Truth, and Transform. We're ECFA approved, so our book's cleaner than a flamingo's feathers. Yep, won that bet because I squeezed in another one. Ready to continue standing firm? Just visit wretched.org slash donate or text the word wretched to the number 44321. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Busy, busy, busy. Last year, Preborn Ministries provided over 92,000 ultrasounds, 54,000 babies were saved, 69 ultrasound machines were placed, 10,000 people responded to the gospel. Preborn Ministries, very busy, saving babies, saving souls. Would you please consider partnering with Preborn Ministries? $28 per ultrasound, five ultrasounds, $140. Yes, they are expensive, but they save lives. And Preborn Ministries uses good equipment with 
trained specialists, which is why the success rates are so staggeringly high at saving lives with preborn. Please consider supporting preborn at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. Hermeneutics. A vital part of biblical hermeneutics is an understanding of genre. One genre we find in Scripture is prophecy. Prophetic books record God's warnings to Israel and other nations of the consequences of continued rebellion against Him and the blessings waiting those who trust Him for salvation. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Surprise! This makes me Oh, so happy. This is a wretched radio. The coronation of King Charles right around the corner. Millions of gospel tracks will be distributed courtesy of Living Waters. Well done, Ray and the gang. Uh, King Charles received a gift from the Pope for the coronation. It's two fragments of Christ's cross. So here's here's what the Pope did. He took a couple of slivers from Christ's cross and then set those pieces of wood into a fantastically expensive piece of art, totally negating the message of the cross. But this actually makes me very, very happy. And you say to yourself, wait a second, Friel, why would you be excited that the Pope gave the new king two fragments of Christ's cross? Well, that's simple. So I could play this classic bit. Hello, this is Bob Athelstan with Relics, 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 your source for sacred Christian relics. We carry a wide assortment of relics for all purposes, from earthly miracles to heavenly rewards. Right now, we have a special on the one-of-a-kind skull of John the Baptist. Choose from child, teen, or adult. Hurry fast because quantities are limited. The first hundred people who call in to order the blessed skull of John the Baptist will receive a two-inch by two-inch piece of the actual cross. Free. Hundreds of thousands of satisfied customers have attested to the miracles happening in their lives since they have owned these palm-sized chunks of the real historical actual cross that Christ himself was crucified on. Pick up our catalog or visit us on our internet site. While you're there, be sure to order our holy plate and chalice dinnerware. Use it the one and original Last Supper. Available in 10 and 20 piece sets. Remember, here at Relics, 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 our motto is you don't need grace when you've got sacred relics. Always at fair prices. Thank you. Mr. Pope, sir, for letting me play that Joey bit from, well, probably two decades ago. Uh, Hey, have you seen the new Russell Crowe movie? It's about a Roman Catholic exorcist. Don't recommend it. It's based on the life of Father Gabriel Amorth, as played by Russell Crowe. If you've been wondering whatever happened to, the answer is he is playing an exorcist. Supposedly, the original character said that the 1973 Exorcist film featured a possessed teenage girl with a head that spins 360 degrees as being substantially accurate. Hmm. Apparently, he said in 2005, that some patients had to be tied down on a bed and that they spit, vomit. At first, the demon will try to demonstrate the... Sorry, demoralize... (laughs) I don't have my glasses on. The exorcist. Then he will try to terrify them, but I'm not frightened. I have faith. I laugh at the demon and say to him, I've got the Madonna on my side. I am called Gabriel. Go fight the archangel, if you will, who wouldn't even fight him. (laughs) Apparently, the book of Jude isn't in the repertoire of this Roman Catholic exorcist because even the archangel Michael 
didn't want to get into a tussle with the devil. So if you're looking for something to see, well, well, this this clearly ain't it. As long as we're talking about the Roman Catholic Church, let's talk about the Anglican Communion. <laughs> Sometimes they're closed. Actually, what I've been learning, this will be a total shocker to you. Uh, there is a bit of a range of Anglicans. Some do get very close to Roman Catholicism. Others are far more evangelical on the other side. Perhaps you heard about Aaron Edwards. He's from Great Britain, and he was responding to the Anglican Communion's affirmation that now they can they can affirm the marriage, but they don't marry. What? Something like that. They tried to find a compromise position. And this fellow, he worked at a Methodist university called Cliff College. And if you recall, he was fired and they threatened to report him as being a terrorist to the Prevent. That's the UK government's anti-terrorism and hate speech program. I'm sorry, program. <laughs> How similar those those words actually are. This is what he tweeted. Homosexuality is invading the church. Evangelicals no longer see the severity of this because they're busy apologizing for their apparently barbaric homophobia. Yeah. Whether or not it's true, this is a gospel issue, by the way. If sin is no longer sin, we no longer need a savior. Cliff College said, them words are therapeutically offensive. Why? Because they adopted the language of therapy, which is the lingo franca du jour. I'm not sure that was all the same language, but we speak as if we're all in counseling, that we're all that we're all receiving therapy somehow, because everything is about how I feel about what you say and do. And if you make me feel bad and I don't get to be my authentic self, well, then you're automatically wrong. That's how the game is played. No matter what your belief is, if your belief is deemed offensive by somebody, well, guess what? You're automatically wrong. Listen to what this fellow wrote. What I found especially reprehensible about the Anglican situation was that these many recent pro-LGBT vicars, bishops, and theologians, this is in the Anglican communion, refused to admit that their theological position on marriage was determinatively influenced by those shifting cultural currents. In other words, those Anglicans who have changed their views, it came after a serious study of Scripture. It wasn't because culture is barking at us and threatening to imprison us if we don't say the right pronouns. And he finds that ridiculous, and so it is. They were adamant that their view was simply the fruit of diligent biblical exegesis and prayer. Apparently it had, I like sarcasm, apparently it had nothing to do with the pressures exerted upon the church by secular society, nor any burning desire to keep in step with public opinion on LGBT+. Apparently God's sheer delight in homosexuality was in the Bible all along. Just sitting there in the text, waiting to be exegeted. I like sarcasm. My tweet, he writes, was not actually aimed at homosexuals or even pro-LGBT Christians. It was aimed toward the safe centrist evangelicals. I don't know that they're centrist. Well, I guess centrist could be looped into that, but definitely left and progressive who are not pro-LGBT, but do not speak up. Oh, here's here's his point. Those that, you know, I'm against it personally. Shh, 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 don't tell anybody, but I'm never going to say a word. That's who he was aiming this at. You're not saying anything. 
And this is a time to stand and speak, which takes us to Australia for a moment. A pastor, Andrew Sedra. Is it Eco Church? Echo Church. Yeah, I believe it's Echo. Echo. E C H O. Uh huh. Yes. So it's not a green church, so they hate the mother. Is that what I'm. <laughs> the point is, this thing went viral, and I thought he did a beautiful job of really pithily summarizing the theological distinctives between LGBT religion and Christianity. You say LGBT religion? Yep. This is. The Eco Echo Pastor from Australia. The gospel and the LGBTQ sex religion, they're the total opposite. That's why this will be the biggest point of religious tension. That will be the biggest point of persecution to the church the next few years. We are so different. Whatever we believe, the LGBTQ sex religion believes the opposite. Whatever they believe, it's like we are the total opposite. But like we are so different. Catholicism. The LGBTQ is about self-expression. The gospel is about self-denial. Jesus said, "If you want to follow me, you must deny yourself." Again. We are the opposite religions. Catch the next one. They worship sex. We worship God. They, they are men becoming God. We believe that God became men. See, that's why they celebrate pride. We celebrate humility. We are the opposite religion. Total opposite. Total opposite. So see, they believe that you're born this way. Jesus said you must be born again. They, they, they believe that I'm perfect just the way I am. The gospel is I'm a sinner. It's so different. And that's why if you try to be more loving, if you try to be more inclusive, if you try to be more diverse, if you try to, to water down the gospel, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Because theologically, philosophically, in every single sense, we are the total opposite polarizing ideological framework. They are a religion, and it's diametrically opposed to Christianity. Furthermore, they proselytize a lot. They shame us for sharing our faith, imposing our values on others, but that's precisely what they are doing. And to those Christians, we'll call it, I guess, the squishy middle, who are personally opposed but are not willing to speak out, might I encourage you to rethink your love for humanity? If people, whatever their sexual proclivity is, they are persisting in willful rebellion against God and using their bodies to articulate that hatred, are we really loving them by not saying anything? By not warning them? By not calling them to repentance? By not being willing to take some hits like this guy at the Methodist school who was termed, they fired him. Because you made the students feel bad. And people read, the church has already done so much harm to individuals who don't feel safe from comments like that. What did they cite? You weren't using the correct therapeutic language. You said something that was hurtful. Therefore, they fired him. Salute to this man for his courage in standing up because, surprise, his family has been getting threatened, of course. Uh, That's that's just the response. It's going to cost to speak up. There's no question about it. The only question is, are you and I willing to pay that cost? Until tomorrow, go serve your king.